Welcome to our podcast today on small business horsepower. Small Business Horsepower podcast, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Podbean, all of the various outlets. And today, I am so pleased to have Mr. Rob Goff on today's program on Small Business Horsepower. Rob grew up in Indiana, and after graduating high school, he went to Ball State University and from there, he went to University of Indiana. So I was getting all ready to try to impress him, even though it was before his time to say, well, I know about Bobby Knight and Scott May and everything else. But what I found out listening to some other shows was that one teacher really hurt him and didn't give him the right, well, he got the right grade, but held it against him. So she wouldn't let him go to Bloomington. So he ended up in Indianapolis. And uh, I found out that his mother really did a lot to raise him. I was a bus driver, became a real estate agent. And his stepfather worked for FedEx for, I don't know, 30 years or whatever. And uh, I was listening to some stuff where he was saying his grandfather had a great influence on his uh, business life and so on. So we'll get to all of that on Small Business Horsepower today. And we welcome Rob to the program. Rob, welcome to our program today and podcast on Small Business Horsepower. Hey, thanks for having me. Honored to be here. Love to have you. Well, I'll tell you, I want to start with this because what happened to me, Rob, was that I wanted to learn to play chess so badly. And what happened was this local guy was beating me all the time. And I got so upset that I went and hired a, a teacher to really teach me chess. And I play at the chess club. I bring that up because I was doing a little research on you. And, and, and it said something like when you were like 10 years old plus, you started playing chess. And that really helped you with in life with business decisions. Can you tell me a little about that? Do you still play and how that impacted your business career, what you learned from chess? Yeah, I mean, I think chess is an incredible game. I don't play as often as I should, but but definitely love the game. And I think from a business perspective, yeah, I mean, it teaches you that you've got to always see the steps ahead and, and have those planned out. And then every move that you could make, what could go right and what could go wrong and then, you know, plan accordingly. So, you know, I definitely think that chess is an incredible game for, for business minded people. Just kind of keeps you always thinking and, and, you know, deciding what could go wrong. And that way you're thought out and you're planning in case that does happen. What do you do then? Well, that's great. And what about making big decisions? Like, tell me how you get to big decisions. Because what I was listening about you is it's not like you're a money guy per se, like, you, you know, the end result. But I really appreciate that you look at it and go, yeah, I want to reach the money. That, I mean, that's the, the chase of getting to making that big money. And then, of course, getting to that big money involves making big decisions. And so how do you go about moving these chess pieces of business and deciding what's your next move? Yeah, you're right. It's not the money. It's just the, the game of life. You know, it's, it's the game of the challenge is, is what gets me. And I think with decisions, you know, you have to think out the, the decision that you're about to make for business, just like you're thinking out the, the move in chess. And then at the end of the day, you just have to move the piece and see what happens. And the same with business. You know, if you make the right decision 51% of the time, you, you've made the right decision a majority. So at the end of the day, it, it may be a very tough decision, but you just have to make the move. 
and you have to to push forward and get it done. Well, one of the first moves I guess you made is this. Uh, how do you say this? Uh, Bidaru, Bidaru, or uh, the one you had for seven years where you brokered transactions? Can you tell us our audience a little bit about how you got involved in that and what you learned from that and what that was all about? Yeah. So you know, I was um, I was about 19 years old and came up with this crazy idea that you know you could buy a let's use a plasma screen television that retailed for a thousand bucks so it was an opportunity to sell that to, to you for a hundred dollars maximum and the way that we would find that you would buy it was you had to bid on that item you could not bid over a hundred bucks and the winner was the highest unique bid so if you bid 99.99 and i bid 99.99 we were not unique so we didn't win but if someone else bids 99.98 and they're the only person that bid that amount, they would win it for that price. Now, the question was, how do we make money? And every bid place, win or lose, was charged a bid fee. So let's say 10 bucks. So then I would, in theory, bring in a thousand bids at $10 a pop. Um, so I, I would bring in 10 grand and then sell it to you for 99.98, you know, the unique bid. So what I learned was a unique concept is very tough because you have to convince people how to, how to use it. And you have to educate them on how to use this uh, this brand new idea. And uh, I also learned that you know it's tough to raise money at 19. You know, no one would give me money. I hustled and I went after every investment bank in town and, and went after anybody that had a dollar. And you know, at the end of the day, they're not going to really give you money unless you've got a good track record. So I uh, I learned that you just have to hustle and figure out a way, like I've always done. And then, uh, and then you build a track record and, and things will get easier. But getting going, I think the, the goal or the, the way to do it is just hustle and, and think outside the box and just make things happen. And then as you get older and older and you keep getting more and more success, then things will get easier. But I learned a lot. Uh, and I also learned to fail fast. You know, I, I gave that thing seven years of my life and uh, I should have failed a lot sooner. Well, that, that leads to an interesting question. And I have a rule on when I started my business, uh, one thing I always said was, I don't care what I have to do as a second job, third job or fourth job. I just don't want a partnership. Like I don't want to be, especially with family and friends, a partner because I want to keep my family and friends. I wanted to get your view on that because you're, you're talking about this and obviously you can progress. Some people progress a lot faster because they do form partnerships with other people, which obviously helps them raise capital, money and other things, know-how. What what's your feeling on partnerships in general? Yeah, you know, you're essentially getting into a marriage with somebody in a partnership. And, you know, marriages statistically don't last too long. So I think if, you, uh, if you're going to get in a partnership, you got to know who you're getting into that partnership with. And I think if you're going to do that, you need to do it to where you both bring something to the table that the other person doesn't have. So I, I, I do feel like partnerships are, are incredible. But, you know, you just have to know who you're getting in bed with. You know, I partnered on a tech company with a guy named Matthias who was incredible. He was great at a lot of things that I was not great at. And I was great at a lot of things that he was not great at. So therefore, that partnership worked out well. But yeah, I mean, it's a risk, right? I mean, you, you always should have clauses in your operating agreement that allow you guys to, to exit in case there's arguments, just like, you know, with any kind of relationship. 
got to be careful. Well, one thing I didn't mention in the opening is that you got cancer, a very rare form at a very young age. And I do want to ask, you know, obviously it had a great impact on your life and, and then how you not only overcame that, but then did that motivate you even more in this business world to make something special? No, I don't think so. You know, I've, I've always been, you know, interested in, in the passion for business since I was a little kid. I've, I've always had that. I think the cancer just allowed me to maybe appreciate the smaller things that, that I didn't appreciate before, you know, like the, the color of the sky or the stars at night, things that you see every day, but you just don't really realize how incredibly special those small things are. So for me, the cancer, I don't think it pushed me in business. I think that was always just kind of born in me. But I, I do think the cancer allowed me to appreciate, yeah, I mean, life in a different way. That's great. After you, uh, you spoke about the dot-com you were involved in and all, but tell me about buying Dope, that brand, and uh, investing into that, you know, moving out to California, you know, how you found that Dope brand and, you know, how you were able to take it and then we'll get to where it is today. But give me a little background on that and how you came about that purchase. Well, I moved to California because of another company called Beckham, which was a tech company. It was started by another guy named Matias, and it was doing, you know, great numbers, a few million bucks a year, profitable. And, uh, and then we partnered up and we grew that business tremendously over, you know, two and a half years and sold it to a public company. After that, then I, you know, took a few years to just look at investments and look at deals and kind of just uh, relax, to be honest. And then I acquired Dope. And Dope was a business out of Indiana. It was started in Indiana. They moved to California, but I knew the the founder just because we were both from Indiana. And um, the brand was always just iconic, and you know, with with athletes and celebrities. And um, they had a great store on on Fairfax in Los Angeles. And I thought the trademark portfolio was was very valuable. And owning that name, especially where I felt speed cannabis were going, so I bought it mostly for the trademark portfolio, and grew it you know, to, to great heights and then recently sold it, sold the trademarks for clothing to a European company, which I knew would be a great strategic buyer from the beginning and before I bought it. So then um, now dope with my logo will never be in clothing after June. We, we've got some units, a new collection that's on the website on dope.com that, you know, we're selling now, but after that, we won't sell clothing anymore and the brand will be solely CBD. So that's kind of how that that went. Bought it, sold the trademarks for clothing, basically ended the clothing future and uh, and pivoting the brand. I'll tell you, folks, he's not kidding either when he talks about getting him to network in Hollywood. I mean, uh, I saw on the web he's friends with Vaughn Miller. I mean, that guy knows how to get to the quarterback, I'll tell you that. And then, you know, you can see, you can go on and see Jordan Sparks on his porch having dinner and everything else. I mean, he is, and he's, he's in Billionaire Boys Club. I just read he's going to star with Bruce Willis in a movie. And so he's got it all cooking. And so he's really taken that brand far, which asks one question. What do you think, Rob, the future of retail is? Because... 
you know, like I was reading now that you're going to take this dope into vending machines with like your CBD products and stuff like that. Tell me if I'm correct about that. But then what will that do? And that's probably a lot of it due to all the regulations as well on CBD, which we can talk to. But what about the future of retail? Do you think it still has a space or everything is going to be going online as we go forward? Yeah, I mean, of course, online is growing tremendously. So for me, you know, I wanted small business owners, you know, to basically I try to get rid of their, you know, the risk. So the dope brand is has got a a great following and it's been around for a long time. And obviously uh, it's been taking years to develop the, the highest quality CBD products for dope. And so instead of selling franchises, franchise stores for dope CBD, you know, I saw a lot of risk there. So let's say you wanted to open a dope franchise store, you'd have to go and get a lease, find the location, get a lease, your five to seven year lease there. That's a big liability. You got to go do a build out that, you know, to ensure that the, all the stores look the same, all, you know, to our brands. That's going to cost you at least 250000 And then you have to also, you know, manage employees, hire a manager, or that's going to be yourself, hire employees, which, you know, that's a risk nowadays. In addition, you're going to have extra expenses due to COVID and the liability that, that comes with that. So what we've done is we'll have dope vending machines. Therefore, you don't have to worry about the COVID situation. It's, it's a machine. And the machine is smart. And it tells, you know, let's say you as a small business owner, now you can look at your app or look at the computer and you know the inventory levels of that machine. You know the revenue and the profit for the day. And, you know, you can say, oh, well, hey, these, these dope gummies are, are looking a little low from an inventory level. And then you can go and drive the machine instead of having to go to the machine to find out the inventory level. So, and in addition, you know, you can buy 10 machines full of CBD for the same price as just building out one store. And if the location doesn't work, you just pick it up and move the machine to somewhere else. So, I felt like it was a way, you know, a lot of these franchise operations, they sell you a franchise and, you know, it's a tough job. And so I felt like this was a way to give somebody a lot less risk with a great side job or a great source of income. So that's where we're, we're moving to. That's great. So you're going to see more of that and it's going to be hard to have these retail franchises that are on main street type places uh, it's going to be mostly all online and i think the vending machines are important you know and if anybody wants a vending machine they can reach out to john at dope.com and he can give you more information but you know i just think it's having a storefront having the liability of, of managing employees of a store lease of a build out covid you know i just think that that's kind of the old way of doing it for us selling cbd a machine a, a smart vending machine is just a lot less risk and a great way to do it and yeah dope you know, that's, of course, e-commerce. is. How about is, uh, you going forward? Like, you know, we talked about when you started and you were looking for money and it's hard to get at that age, you know, 18, 19 years old, everyone's telling you no. Now that you've been successful, we look years ahead. You've got a track record you talked about. You build the dope brand. You're well known. Do you still get no's or people just say, oh, that's Rob. He's been successful. I'll look at it closely. Of course, it's still a business transaction, but I'm, I'm inclined to say yes. And the other side of that is, does that motivate you? Like knowing that you still have to climb that mountain, even with your level of success and if you get a no you may even work harder to turn that into a yes things don't get easier you know you definitely get a lot of no's you know i love a good challenge and i and i love to uh you know there, there's always levels to this right and so you know i'm nowhere near to the level that uh you know a lot of great people are at 
So I'm still um, still learning, still climbing, and and still having fun. So I have a long way to go. Is it a lonely business, or you have great collaboration with some of the other executives in your space, where you can pick up the phone and call them, and still get advice on how to grow, how to make decisions, or what help you with decisions? Definitely know a lot of wonderful people. I'm more of a, I would, you know, I, I definitely put my head down and, uh, and work hard. You know, the, the advice would just be go and make it happen. But, you know, from, uh, from other sides, you know, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I talk to some incredible people for some advice, but mostly, you know, I talk to my lawyers almost every day doing, doing different kind of deal flow, but it's, um, no, I put my head down and just get to work. What's your advice for someone looking to buy a, like when you bought dope or a brand, like what are the things you look for when you take your next step? Is it that helps you make a decision or what you're looking for? You know, I think if I could go back, it takes the same amount of time and effort and frustration to build a hundred million dollar business as it does a billion dollar business. So I think for me, you know, I would always think bigger. You know, I think that's advice that, you know, most people just see themselves doing small deals because that's all they think are possible. But in all actuality, the sky is the limit and it truly is. So I would say the, the advice would be just always think about scale and don't limit yourself to a business that can't scale and go to large numbers. Right. Speaking of large numbers, when I was a kid, I loved flipping baseball cards. I mean, I had, you know, the Steve Carlton card, the Tom Seaver card. I mean, and we used to be like in elementary school and we we would flip them. And if they both came on one side, then the other guy, I don't remember all the rules. The other guy got it. If it flipped the other way, the other guy got it. If it was odd and you know, it was so much fun. And then they had a little bubble gum stick in the pack. You to go to the store and buy it. That uh, was so much fun. And, uh, you know, those packs cost a buck or so. Now, those packs did not cost $5.1 or $2 million for one card, like the uh, 1952 Mickey Mantle card. So I got to ask you about that. I, I read you bought that card a couple of weeks ago, and I saw your picture holding the card. Like, I'd be afraid to touch it. You know, like, oh my God, I don't know. I touched the card. I just paid five point some million bucks for it. Now I'm touching the card. Like, how did I know you must love baseball cards, but uh, do you see? I think you, I read that it was previously valued about 3.8 million. It went to 5.2. Do you see it going up from there? And, uh, you know, what prompted you? Were you chasing that card for a long time? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, so I, I collected baseball and basketball cards as a kid. And then I stopped collecting. And then in August of 2020, I got back into it. And, uh, you know, I looked at it as an asset class that was um, rising in value at um, extreme rates. So I started buying. And, uh, you know, my theory is that younger people, you know, other generations, they would buy art. You know, they make some money and they buy art and they put it on their wall. And that was impressive to their friends, which is why they buy it, which is why the values go up, supply and demand. You know, athletes and younger people are valuing art on their wall less than what they used to. So baseball cards, I feel like are becoming that priceless piece of art. And uh, they've always had, you know, great value. They've outperformed the S&P 500 every year. And this card in particular didn't have the, the growth as the other cards have done. And this is the most iconic card in the world. This is the Mona Lisa of sports cards, the 1952 Topps Mickey Mantle. And um, so if you looked at other, you know, iconic cards, Michael Jordan's rookie, 1986 clear, 
LeBron James rookie, even baseball, like a Jackie Robinson, all these guys, you know, their card values went up 10 times, 20 times, 30 times. And this card was, um, it was sold for 2.88 million in less than two years before I bought it. And so this card to get it for a little under double in the same period of time was, uh, was a steal. And, you know, I just think the card will continue to go up the same week. I, I announced my purchase. I got an offer for 6 million and offer for 8 million. So Oh, wow. You already got a higher offer, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Didn't, I didn't sell. I think it's got a lot of legs and a lot of growth. And, and honestly, I didn't buy it, sell it. I bought it because I think it's, uh, like I said, a priceless piece of art. I, I've got the Mona Lisa of sports cards. You know, there's, there's no better card in the game. I'll tell you, I'm going in my garage and getting out my collection because I may not have 5.3 million, but who knows? My Bob Gibson old card might be worth 50 bucks. I don't know. I'm going to have to all check it out. Yeah, the condition of these cards is very important. You know, for, for instance, the nine, you know, I paid 5.2 million for it. Well, I have an eight that uh, prior to this purchase, you know, I bought for about 400 grand, 500 grand. Now they're selling for about, you know, 2 million. But you know, that's a, that's a big difference. 500 grand, you know, it's about a 10 X difference. Same with the Michael Jordan rookie card, you know, a PSA 10 was 700 grand, a nine is 70 grand. So the condition of the card is the most important, but you should definitely look, you know, it's a blast You get back into it. Brings back all those memories of a kid and the values are rising at, at great rates. That is great. Well then uh, let me ask you another thing because uh, my last podcast that's just came out last week, I interviewed a person that's developing blockchain, cryptocurrency. And when I was listening to you talk about baseball cards, I was thinking about that Bitcoin type thing because the people that don't believe in some of this stuff like Bitcoin and all, they feel that because there's no like gold or reserve currency behind it or something, it's an emotional kind of buy. Well, I look in listening to you, I, I kind of see baseball cards the same way. It's an emotional kind of buy and you're not afraid of emotional buy. Otherwise, you don't pay 5.2 million for the 52 Mickey Mantle card. So are you a guy that believes in crypto or Bitcoin or buying it on its way up because it's not tied to a company or so on? It's an emotional buy. What do you feel about that? You know, I think anything with value is all about supply and demand. You know, it's why do you buy anything that you think will go up in value. You know, it's all basic economics. And I think with crypto, Bitcoin is just a supply and demand issue. You know, there's no purpose to Bitcoin, but you know, demand keeps going up and therefore the price keeps going up. Now, other coins within the blockchain, I think, you know, they do provide a lot of useful, it does something, you know? So I, I think that other coins will also rise in uh, in value because you're essentially buying equity into a business and and these other coins do some incredible things. So yeah, I'm invested in crypto. Yeah, and what my guest was talking about is that really eliminates the need to make you know, Main Street face-to-face -face contracts or letter of credits and all kinds of things where, you know, you don't trust the other person and you kind of have to have a third party negotiate the paperwork. Now you have a digital ID, I have a digital ID, and we could make a transaction right between each other with more security. Do you, do you see it that way as well going forward? Yeah, I think it's the way of the future. You know, I, I do. It's making things cheaper, faster, easier. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's definitely some growth potential there.
before we let you go, and by the way, we've had so much pleasure. I mean, I got, I had so many questions that I didn't even really take time to reintroduce them, but we thank Rob Goff for joining us on Small Business Horsepower. Rob, what's, what's the future hold? I see you're acting, and do you have another business investment lined up that you're working on? Obviously, you're not going to tell us those details if you do, but just in general, uh, what's cooking? What else? What's for you? always something, but I, you know, I don't, I always like to keep my head down and announce it when they, when they come. But, you know, I think for dope, making sure we've got the best CBD in the market and ensuring that people that want to have a small business and they, and they want to put a CBD vending machine, they, they've got a great quality product that they can go to market with as well. So I'm just focused on that at the moment and growing that business. You want to tell our listeners uh, where to go to get all the information on the vending machines, dope and so on one more time? Yeah, you can just hit me on on Instagram. It's just Rob G. Or you can email um, our vending machine guy, John at dope.com. So it's super easy. Well, Rob, thank you so much today for coming on our podcast today on Small Business Horsepower. I really appreciate and we hope that you'll come back in the future when you put the next log on the proverbial fire and we'll be able to talk about what your next step is for small business or for business in general. No, I'm honored to be here. Big fan of the show. You've done a great job, and yeah, I, I can't wait to come back in the future and keep listening to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.